Well, folks, welcome back to Indaba Africa. This is Chris coming to you live from central Pennsylvania, where it appears I can't see my healthcare provider because I traveled outside the state in the last 10 days. <gasps> Shock and terror. We'll talk about that more on the Night Owls edition and the feckless healthcare system and the political hysteria associated with the Wuhan coronavirus COVID-19 later today on Stray Volta's Night Owls edition. But thank you for tuning in today. Uh, very excited. We have a guest today whom many of you know, but those outside South Africa may not be familiar with him. We're going to learn a bit about him and his organization, what it is they do, and talk about some recent events in South Africa, particularly about the Brockenfell incident that took place with the, as I described them, the intimidation rally that took place by the economic freedom fighters in Brockenfell uh, in the Western Cape just a couple of days ago. So we'll talk about that with him. And my guest today is uh, General Isak Fansal. Let me welcome him into the stream right now. General Sal, welcome to the stream. How are you today? Hochandit. Thank you, Chris, and uh, to all the listeners, uh, thank you very much for allowing me on the show, and uh, I'll be happy to ask any questions and have a few discussions with you. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Um, I've never had you on the program before, and people have been asking me a lot about you coming to the program, but but you're frequently on. Um, Scott Balson from Loving Life has you on as a frequent guest, and so uh, a lot of people get a chance to see you on Scott's channel. Uh, but I understood that you were keen to come on here, and so um, I'm happy to have you on. So welcome to the channel. We're excited to have you here, and, and for folks, especially around the world and outside South Africa, to learn a little bit, learn a little bit more about yourself and about Boyle Guillaume. So, um, Borlegion, um, as you and I were talking before the stream started, to people not familiar with it, it sounds like some sort of army, but it's not an army. Can you tell us a little bit about what uh, Bor Legion really is? Uh, Chris, yeah, you can compare it with an army, but more like the Salvation Army. Um, <laughs> what we are. Okay, that's good. I like that. Yeah, what, what, what we are preparing for is, is, is to be prepared in your place where you are staying your historic town, to be prepared for any occurrence that, that might happen. We are all seeing what is happening with the EFF, what they are driving. Uh, we know who are the drivers behind the EFF and why they are driving towards a certain goal, and that is to destroy infrastructure, that is to make this country ungovernable in order to take from the rich what they call the rich, and to put it into the hands of the masses. Uh, so that is that is the long and the short in the in a in a nutshell, the goal of the EFF. Um, we identified them as the main role players back in 2009, uh, and I started with a program we called Alarm Alarm, where we started to to communicate information relating to these hostile organizations who are part of lots of groups, and you can include the ANC there as well, who are driving a national democratic revolution in order to, to take from the white people who they say historically steal or stole from them. That include land, that include position, that include everything that is linked to the econo economy of the land. So yeah, um, and we, we said we have to take a, 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 a stand at some point where we say that uh, we are not going to, we are not unwilling to share and we are not unwilling to provide jobs as far as we can. Uh, but we are not willing to give away what we built up 
for generations. Um, so yeah, um, what we are preparing for is a situation of total anarchy, not to win a war, but to survive at the end of the day. Uh, if you if you look at the Seitlanders' plan, they want to withdraw to a certain place. We say no. Uh, you have infrastructure in your historic town. That historic town belongs to you as a, as a part of the white minority. Your history lies there. There's concentration camp there. There's monuments there. The first buildings indicates that your ancestors were the first people. They planted the towns. And that's where we will stay, and that's what we will protect with our bodies. Well, it's uh, it's. Uh, I, th- I think the the argument, if one wants to make, if the EFF is certainly trying to make South Africa ungovernable, is hard to dispute if you're an objective observer. It's it's clear when you see the leader of the economic freedom fighters, uh, of course, endlessly for well over a decade singing "Kill the Boar," um, and that's of course that's a banned song. It's hate speech under South African law. Yet he gets away with it all the time. But beyond that, um, calling for his fighters to go out and attack clicks locations. The uh, pharmacy, the chemist all over the country attacked them because of an ad posted by a black employee from a majority black owned business, um, which gets uh, advantage in government tenders because it's BEE, uh, Black Economic Empowerment certified because it's majority owned by black South Africans. And he sends his fighters out to attack these clicks locations, denying people access to pharmacies to get life saving medication they need, intimidating them. Fire using petrol bombs against one of the locations, destroying 44 clicks locations around the country, and no arrests, no charges for inciting violence or domestic terrorism. Then he goes to Senegal, and in Senegal, he he spends 20 minutes spewing racial hatred, all of which could easily be charged for a crime under South Africa's existing laws. I mean, when we see Vicky Momberg sent to prison as a felon for calling a black police officer an Arabic uh, slur, uh, which was wrong and inappropriate and was disrespectful, but the woman was in shock after having been nearly carjacked and murdered. Um, so it's uh, some degree of understandable, but there's no 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 understanding of that. Yet Julius Malema can go to Senegal and spew racial hatred for 20 minutes on stage, videotape for the world to see, and no actions taken against him. And then his number three in charge uh, sings in Zulu and then switches to English to make sure that none of us miss it. You know, burn the boar, burn them down, burn them out. And less than 48 hours later, we have nearly 247,000 acres or 100,000 hectares of land in the Northern Free State burnt by arson. And we see the government with its fake claim that, well, this was a service delivery protest. I- I'm sorry, there's a there's a curfew and no one's allowed on the street at 4 a.m. when the fire started. And who starts a service delivery protest on the side of a rural road, not near town, near no television cameras, near no people who can see your protest, and you throw burning tires into tinder-like fields. This is, uh, I don't think anybody who's reasonable and objective, no matter how you feel about race relations or about South Africa's history, could look at this and say anything other than the EFF is instigating civil conflict. And it looks like they're looking for a race war. Uh, at least that's what it appears to me, General Fonsal. Yeah, no, uh, it is very evident that they are looking for a race war. And uh, if they are continuing on this road, they are going to get exactly what they want. Um, and that's my message to them. Um, if they want a race war, that's what will that's what they will get. Um, at this moment in time, the police are still playing a sort of a role. Uh, we are very we are very critical to the police. My messages to the police commissioner and minister of police, Becky Taylor, is very clear that they are not doing their job. They are not playing the role they're supposed to play as maintainers of law and order. 
and uh, we are watching them. We are even watching their body language. And we saw the body language in Brockenfell where they turned the backs, their backs on the EFF and showed the barrels of the guns to the Buddha people. And that should stop. And um, we issued the message and uh, a, a program uh, a night before, Thursday night, before the, the, the night before Friday. We issued a very strong statement. And earlier in the week, me and my dad, he's a former general in the police, we issued a very strong statement where we said that we are watching them. And we are going to analyze each and every situation. We have people there with cameras. We have people there who are monitoring and who are making notes. And uh, we are going to bash them in public if they are not going to be apolitical, objective, maintaining law and order. And luckily what we saw on, on Friday is a total different story from Brackenfell 1, yeah. where the police actually acted against the perpetrators and treated them like criminals for what they are. They are criminals. They are a bunch of criminals who had no interest in Brackenfell. They came to a historic town, to a historic school, who are um, um, vacated or, or not vacated, or occupied by pupils uh, from the white and brown community for generations. Now. Uh, the few blacks that are in that school are just because of the fact that uh, the law prescribed it since 1994 mm -hmm. to make the schools open for everyone. But we are not going to make way to balance the the, the 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 numbers in school so that it must be a 50-50. Why must we shift people who are living around Brackenfell to to go to another schools, for instance? And that that counts for all the old Model C schools, the historic white Afrikaans schools in South Africa. Mm -hmm. And I think the message was very very clear on Friday and. Uh, According to my observation and according to what I observe, um, the EFF got a blood nose on Friday. <laughs> they spent all the money. They got the, the, the moral high ground with the numbers. And the, the intimidation factor was on their side. And they came there just to get the hiding that they deserved. And uh, I want to see that the police will do their job in the future as well and uh, to prevent this country to fall into a state of total anarchy because they, the police, are the thin blue line who at this stage a fading line. It's a fading line between peace and total anarchy. And we are... And if we are going to head for a state of total anarchy, that thin blue line will diminish and then we are going to have a situation where you get the, the different clans standing opposite each other, what we call the clash of the clans. And that, that we don't want. We don't want that. So for as long as the police are there and we can motivate them and we can advise them and we can... Um, support them where we can and push them in front to do the job they are paid for, we will do that, exactly that. Well, it seems to be a very frustrating situation, which uh, we've all been dealing with for decades here, the inability of people to grasp what racism is and what it isn't. 
And racism is really about one, one group thinks that one race is better than another and then takes action on it and somehow is superior in some fashion. And that's exactly what the black supremacists in the EFF are doing. They're racist. Their conduct is racist and their behavior is racist. And I was looking at Al Jazeera, um, not the most reliable source, uh, but uh, for Africa, they generally do decent reporting, but not in this case. So Al Jazeera has a photograph of people fleeing from the flashbangs that were being fired at Brockenfell. And um, they're talking about, uh, they're still talking about a, uh, a whites-only matrix dance, which is a distortion of reality, which isn't the case. And they're talking about the EFF assembled to um, do, do protest against racism. No, this was an intimidation rally. And you see a guy in the photograph running down the street, Isaac, carrying a golf club. Um, if you show up to a rally, which, by the way, the judge limited to 100 participants, and they have from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m., and they were supposed to disperse. Uh, I saw at least between three to 5,000 people from the images that I saw who gathered, many of whom were carrying pungas, or knob carries or golf clubs. This is not a peaceful protest. And never mind the fact that um, we have this, this hysteria over this scandemic of COVID-19. No social distancing, no, no mask for many of them, violating all kinds of ordinances and rules. And um, they show themselves where they are. Yet the international press still covers this as an anti-racism event. Uh, instead of pointing out the fact that the EFF broke the law, they broke the law. They sought to intimidate people. And now we see, of course, in the Independent Online, yet another captured media in South Africa. The EFF gives Brockenfell High School a week to mete out punishment to racist staff. Now, the fact that they call the staff at uh, Brockenfell racist simply without any evidence or without even an instant to talk about just shows their bigotry and racism. It's just it's it's vile and disgusting. And I, I don't I don't know how people can tolerate this stuff, but it goes on every day, does it not? Yeah, um, I think we got used to it over the past 27 years, and uh, I think uh, what the good Lord intends with it, this whole exercise, is that we have to learn some patience and some, um, um, what do you call it, um, I can't call it adult, long uh, pa pa patience, patience. The, 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 fr the fruits of the Spirit. Oh, okay. We have to bear we have to, to learn to bear the fruits of the Spirit before He will give us the authority to act against the stucks. Uh, I think the, the Good Father is allowing all this to happen, but at a certain point in time, there will be a situation where um, this guy has only will only have one chance mm -hmm. and that is to pack their bags and go where they belong to. Well, go back where they belong to in the where chat, they came from in the chat here herhard Roos says um they even threatened uh, the children of police officers that were at the event as well uh, that's that's not new uh, that happens here in the united states we have these thugs these uh basically brown shirt fascist stormtroopers who uh, work for Antifa and Black Lives Matter, the black supremacy group here in the U.S., that um, go to these so-called demonstrations. It's really just intimidation rallies in which they try to assault, intimidate, and destroy. They threaten police officers, too, in, in vile language. I hope your children get AIDS and die and things like that. It's just the disgraceful conduct of these people is beyond the pale. Um, what I want to say this, uh, Isaac, is that um, I, was, uh, I was concerned about Brockenfell because uh, the previous week, a number of parents who were rightly angry about what was happening showed up and there were images of them attacking black EFF members. And of course, there were no images of rocks being thrown at the parents by the EFF members uh, or in, or in instigating the incident. But the parents losing control. That, that, is, that is quite understandable. Eh? 
that is quite understandable. Uh, we can understand the, the frustration that the parents experience. Exactly. But my, my point, what I'm getting at is that that week, unfortunately, what happened is because of those images, the, the press did not bother to show images of EFF members uh, bringing weapons or throwing rocks at parents. What they showed were pictures of black EFF members being beat up by whites. And of course, that's what the international media covered. And so unfortunately, that was a, a, a propaganda victory for the EFF and for the race merchants who claim that the 4.8 million white South Africans are all racist. And so that was very concerned. So I, on my stream, I caution people because yeah, parents... And, and, and you know what is, what is the funny part, Chris? What's that? That 4.8 million white South Africans is a threat to 60 million blacks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Especially when there's there's, yeah. there's, there's racial discrimination in employment. So they, can treat, they can treat us like dirt. But if we just look in their direction, yeah. the, their life still threatened. And uh, that you, can, you can say the same with it. The job environment. Yeah. Well, of course. Hell is, is, is a four million population of whites, a minority group. How can they be a threat to jobs in South Africa, taking the job from the black? Even if they give the for all job for all million, four million white people, it will not solve the job, the the, the jobless or the unemployment problem in South Africa. No, the unemployment problem in South Africa will never be solved until race-based legislation, which discriminates against investment, is ended, until expropriation without compensation was withdrawn, until the ANC is either removed from office or learns that in order to have education, you actually have to have literate people. Lowering the graduation standards to enter university to 30% as a passing mark is not a sign of success. It's a sign of education worse than the National Party delivered, uh, arguably, in the worst of circumstances. Uh, it, it, the ANC has failed South Africans of all races, of all ethnicities, on every level for 26 years now, certainly for the last 15 years as they've reverted to state capture and race-based um, hatred. It's really disgusting. It's, uh, it's, it's really frustrating that the world doesn't pay attention to this. And, and, and it's like people are always asking me, why is that? And I said, well, part of the problem is that, uh, number one, we see a lot of leftists um, taking over uh, mechanisms of government around the world. That's a problem. And number two, we also see a lot of people who are not well informed on events in Africa and South Africa, looking at South Africa and remembering it through the lens of April 27th of 1994. Apartheid's over, people standing in queues for hours to vote. Uh, kumbaya, it's all wonderful, brotherhood, peace and love. That's the view, the inaccurate view the world has of South Africa. And there may have been a time when such a thing was possible, but if such a thing was possible, it's certainly not the situation in South Africa today in which the uh, economic freedom fighters spends all its time trying to stoke racial hatred and pit black against white. And big elements of the ruling African National Congress are perfectly okay with that. In fact, they encourage it or they sit by idly and do nothing. It's, it's, it's unbelievable, but it's, it's the situation you face. Yeah, no, that is true. Uh, uh, even even Angela Merkel the other day said that the multicultural society is not working. Um, and I think South Africa is the first country that can testify that because of the 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 murderous element in the African society. I'm not speaking about the peaceful Christian like. Black people. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking about the two to three million people who are voting for the ESA. They have a murderous intent. They have a criminal intent in everything they do. When they open their mouth, this criminality comes out of their mouth. When they when they walk in a direction, they are walking toward 
uh, a place where they want to commit a crime. And that is the lawlessness that makes multiculturalism in South Africa worth nothing. And people should open their eyes now and, and start realizing that as long as the civilized blacks in, in, in South Africa don't isolate the criminal blacks, there will be no peace. What we as white people do, we isolate the criminal whites, the, the people who are rapists, who are murderers, who are robbers. We don't want them in our communities. We drive them out. We, we arrest them and take them to a court of law and we put them behind bars. That's how I feel about any criminal. Mm -hmm. But then, if you want to create a civilized society, then the head of state, especially him, should take a stance against crime. Even though the criminals are part of this and they are sitting in parliament, they are attacking people. They, they are committing crime by calling people names. You know that crime injuria is a, is a crime. It's, it's a yeah. common law crime. It is. Yep. Um, so they don't have any respect for anyone. Anyone. Not even their own people. And, and what we are seeing in South Africa is because of the unwillingness of a government to police these criminals. They don't want to police them because, you know why, if they start to police them, they also have to start to police themselves. Because the parliament is sitting full of a bunch of criminals. That's who they are. Jacob Zuma, Ace Mashushule, name this the, the state capturers, the people who are investigated right now. Why is there an unwillingness to arrest those people? Because the head of state himself is scared of getting some flack and people exposing some, we talked about it, uh, uh, dirt in the cupboard, you know, uh, skeletons in the cupboard. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's why, that's the only reason why. They have a criminal mind, they have a criminal intent, and that's not the racial expression that I'm using. It's not a racist expression. Yeah. It's a fact. Well, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting because um, we look at uh, the lawlessness here. One of the problems I talk about is people attack the SAPs frequently, and I think the South African Police Service is rightly criticized for what it does and doesn't do uh, at times. Although, as we saw in Brockenfeller, they actually did have a sound tactical plan to deal with the EFF intimidation rally. But uh, a lot of times they simply are feckless, particularly when it comes to rural violence and farm murders. Very little accomplished by the police there or cash and transit heist. You know, um, the poor underpaid drivers are being executed with bullets to the back of their head. And they're not, you know, I saw a recent cash and transit heist that looked like it took place um, in uh, Johannesburg. I think that's where it was. And uh, broad daylight, uh, a bucky pulls up with eight thugs jumping out of the back with weapons. They're wearing ski masks. They rush to the back of the vehicle as the guy comes out and he goes past the concrete bollards there because the vehicle can't get close to the building. He has them. He just drops. It. He doesn't put any resistance. A white guy, he backs what up. Do, and he what gets, do you... So what do you call this type of crime in the Middle East? Uh, here we call that armored car robbery, but it's not common here. It's pretty infrequent, only in major cities. But yeah, but if you should see some sort of that sort of crime, what do you, what will what will would you call it in America? Well, here, here, here would people say armored car robbery, but I mean, it's a cash in transit. That's that's what, what folks yeah, in South Africa. But that's actually terror, terrorist attacks. Oh, that, you, that, you ask no, if it's terrorism. Terrorist. Yeah. 
Well, um, yeah. certainly there's a fair argument to be made there about terrorism, but but in this case, is this this is the kind of crime it is. So the gentleman offers no resistance. He doesn't look at anybody. They're all wearing masks, so he can't identify any of the robbers. There's seven of them. They've robbed the vehicle. One of them has a handgun. He pushes the guy forward, pushes him to his knees, bends down, and executes him with a bullet in the back of the head. For what? Why did you just murder that man? That's, that's terrorism. That that's, is. And also the fact that's that... That's pure, pure terrorism. The guy that was arrested, Pinar, in Sinaco. Yes. He was, he was one of a group of guys who overturned the police van. Okay? Yep. No, no, he's standing in trial, walking the risk to be held without a trial, with, uh, um, detention. what do you call it? Detention? Uh, yeah, in, in detention with, uh, for an unlimited time. Normal crime when, when they detain you when they, when they detain you as a suspect they can have, they can hold you in the police cell for forty eight hours right without going to court that guy because there's a charge of terrorism act to the doctor he can be held for unlimited time and what was what he was doing related to terrorism Nothing. other than what the the CIT robbers are doing. And well, I but, never but, saw, <laughs> I, I never saw the charge sheets of that um, CIT robbers that terrorism was one of the charges yeah. added to that doc. Well, it's and you you talk about this. So uh, uh, as I understand, he did get bail on the, on the second application. So he's currently out right now. But 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 your your point is valid. That's a charge that they can deny just based on the seriousness of it. But he was also charged with attempted murder. I saw the video footage. The attempted murder was a police officer who pushed at him and he slapped her arm down. Uh, if, if, if you're so fragile, I mean, a mosquito, that would be attempted murder. But a human being, a homo sapien, that's not attempted murder. Uh, the charges were ludicrous. Also that day, since we're talking about the, uh, let, let's jump forward. That's day the 6th of October. The 16th of October, we see uh, Julius Malayam, an opposition political party leader from a domestic terrorist group, uh, which is pretending to be a political party, arrives with a 26 police car escort. The minister of police flies in by helicopter to attend a hearing for charges against two suspected murders. Uh, why is, is, is Julius Malema feted like a head of state with a blue car escort of 26 uh, folks and then sits in the courtroom for the hearing? Uh, Julius Malema has no standing. He's not a member of the comedian Senegal. He's not an aggrieved party. He was not affected by this. He has no business sitting in that courtroom and should have been removed. But not only is he sitting in the courtroom, but he's sitting next to his gangster buddy, Becatile. They're sitting right next to each other. Yeah. So that tells you all you need to do. That is the photograph that I will share into perpetuity about the collusion between the domestic terrorist behavior of the EFF and the police minister. You know uh, what, 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 what bothers me the most of this whole scenario that played out in, in Senegal is that there was at least five to seven, if, if I can quickly count, Boer leaders, Afrikaner leaders who are representing, who were representing big organizations. And I'm speaking of people who are representing 100,000 people, 300,000 people. Sure. 10,000 people, 20,000 people mm -hmm. of big organization. They are brutal leaders um, who are there to sympathize with the Horner family and to show their protest against the way he was murdered and to come and show the, 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 the remorse and, and, and the disgrace about the 
situation in South Africa. None of those leaders were allowed near the court. None of them. I was on my way from the outskirts of Senegal to walk towards the court. It's about two to three kilometers. Mm -hmm. And we were stopped at the entrance of the town by the police. What what they should have done is to escort us through the mad hordes of the red overalls and see to it that we are kept safe. Mm -hmm. If they could escort Malema with 26 vehicles, they could have escorted us to safety. And that was my that was my biggest, biggest, um, pr- um, what do you call it? That was my first point of van protest um, when, when, when that situation occurred there. Mm-hmm. And they are looking for trouble. The South African police service and the government of South Africa are looking for trouble if they are continuing um, ignoring us and keeping on denying us and keeping on trapping on our rights to be uh, full-fledged citizens of this country. They are not even even recognizing the white people as rightful citizens of this country. Ramaphosa said that we are the intruders. Who the hell is he, man? Who the hell is he to tell me I'm an intruder in my own country? He's looking for trouble, that man. I'm telling you. Well, the problem with that narrative is that uh, I'm a historian and uh, I know better than the EFF and than, than the Cyril Ramaphosa. Uh, I always get a kick and I, 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 this is a narrative I've kept with Zimbabwe for the last 30 years. Every time that Mugabe and ZANU-PF would say, one settler, one bullet, I would say, well, you're going to have to hand out a lot of ammunition because you need about 15 million bullets. And Zimbabweans would stare at me like, what do you mean? Well, I mean, all of you Bantu are colonists, you're settlers. You came from Cameroon, you came down the Rift Valley, you invaded this area and you displaced the Khoi and San. No, we didn't. Well, then why are there San rock paintings that are 50,000 years old in, in Mashona land and in, in Nebele land? Um, so clearly you're lying. Uh, and then the Bantu arrived in what is today South Africa about 1600 years ago. So it was fascinating to watch an illiterate buffoon of an African National Congress member of parliament stand up and say, they took our dignity, they took our land when Jan van Riebeck came here 2000 years ago. Um, I'm not particularly good at maths uh, myself, but but 2000 years ago, uh, last time I checked, Jan van Riebeck set up a station in the Western Cape, the Cape of Good Hope in 1652, which is... Uh, 348 years ago, something like that. Uh, so, yeah, that's a little bit of math trouble there. And, uh, by the way, 2,000 years ago, your ancestors weren't even here either. Not a single, uh, not a single that, that guy, that, that guy got lost between Jesus Christ and Jan van Riebeek. I think to, to him, Jesus Christ and Jan van Riebeek looked similar. Uh, no, it was, it was a woman. It was a woman. So she was completely lost. One of the typical ANC, you know, the ANC says they're so egalitarian because they have so many female members of parliament. But my question is, how many of them are competent? I don't care that they're women. I care that they're competent. Folks, you're listening to Indaba Africa. You're listening to Chris White Africa here on the Indaba Africa channel. My special feature guest today is Isaac Fonsal from Borleyon, a general with Borleyon. Um, we've, we've, we've touched a little bit about what that is. And there's a lot of questions and comments coming in here, uh, Isaac. So I'm going to get to a few of them. I can't get to all of them, but I'm going to ask a few of them here. Uh, some of them a little pointy, so I'll try to get to those as well. But um, so that we have a clear distinction that people understand, um, your organization, l- let me put it in my terms and you tell me what I get wrong, Okay. 
from what I understand, and, and I may have this entirely wrong, is your organization is, is a self-defense organization that is set up to help provide early warning and to organize people so that if something catastrophic happens, you aren't simply sitting there becoming victims of it. Did, did I get it right or have I missed something? Yeah, I think uh, I think you you get it you got it right, Chris. Uh, I just want to add on that, and that is that we are creating a ability uh, from civil society to to be a civilian force to create civilian forces within your towns and your cities and your um, rural areas, uh, which can do precisely the job that the South African police can do. Uh, we are consisting of mostly military and police veterans, uh, which uh, or who served pre-1994 and even after 1994. And uh, we are trying to create the ability amongst our young people to get them trained, uh, young men and young women. We are giving them precisely the same training that we received as, as, as young police officers and young uh, soldiers. And... Uh, by that, we we establish um, reaction units within our towns and the boundaries of our, our towns to, to to play a role in in, 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 in in assisting the police to police the area. Mm -hmm. um, we we are very aware of the community policing forums and the function they are playing and the role they are playing, and we are also fully aware that the police the policing forums and the, the neighborhood watches are not trained people. They are not, did not receive training in any way. What we are doing, we are training the people up to a, a, a standard of a, of, a, of a police officer and the soldier. Uh, we are giving the, the necessary knowledge about the laws, the Criminal and Procedure Act, the um, um, the powers of a civilian when you arrest a person, the powers of a civilian when you search a person and the premises. So we are giving them all that information and we are doing also tactical training to allow them to assist the police in investigating crime, uh, attend scenes of crimes, to follow up operations, operations, what we call in Afrikaans, so that we can, within a short space of time, uh, get the successes of arresting the perpetrators. Mm -hmm. And uh, we also are busy with um, a process where we, we want to clean up our towns, our CBDs. We want to get rid of the drug dealers. We want to get rid of the prostitutes. We want to get rid of the ro robbery gangs, the gangsters, and restore our historic towns to the standards and the values that we grew up with. In South Africa, well, we I'm are not we are not used as white people as as, as Europeans mm -hmm. to the standard the substandard they created in our towns the past 26, 27 years, and we are going to restore that. That's within our basic human rights, and that's exactly what we are going to do. Whether they like it or not, whether they call us racist or not, we have the right to live and work in an environment which is safe for our children and for our uh, um, children's children. And uh, I will shout this message in every ear that don't want to hear until the year. 
Yeah, the, the irony with this is that um, you get these uh, race merchants like the economic freedom fighters who use the uh, flimsy excuse that uh, they went to Seneca on the 16th of October because they are going to protect state property. We are there to protect yeah. state property. Of course, they yeah. go there and they destroy state property by tearing down road signs, smashing rubbish bins made out of concrete. That took they quite, are, a, quite they, a effort. They are, a lawful, they are a laughable bunch of clowns. They are indeed, and now and now that's, after that's, saying that's my, la that's my lemma. One one moment thing that the poor, that the poor people attending Shinnakal one even held the threat for the police, and that the police cannot help themselves. He must be mad. Man. No, he's, he's, a, he's not mad. He's, he's a loser. A, he's a political. He's a lunatic. He's a political he's a opportunist. Lunatic, no, I think he's a political opportunist to seize. Just like when he was in the ANC Youth League. Uh, he saw an opening when Jacob Zuma started to be exposed as a state capture corrupt official that he was, and he saw it as an opportunity to um, build a political constituency, which is what he did. And, and to and to provoke the white people. That's the only reason he was there was to provoke the white people. Well, that's certainly part of that's the only reason he was in in Brockenfell is to provoke the white. Oh, people. in Brockenfell, yeah, yeah, to... no, in Brockenfell, absolutely, yeah. yeah. No, and that's that's what I warn people. So uh, I I warn my viewers because uh, a lot of people are, and I actually I think I probably lost some viewers, but uh, that's too bad if people want to leave. I'm just offering advice. It's not like I'm a guy that just rolled off the back of turnip truck. I actually spent 36 and a half years in uniform, and have been involved in this sort of events around the world. And and I warn people. I said uh, parents should not be rocking up there at Brockenfell emotionally charged because you're going to put yourself at risk. I mean, look at this. Yeah, you, you saw this. Three to 5,000 armed, not all of them armed, but plenty of them armed, a mass of people. People could have been killed. Lots of people, horrific damage. Yeah. Um, and so the good news is I understand is that your organization, now if I falsely attribute this, correct me please, but your organization stayed at a distance away from the school, but not too far to react if necessary. You were there and you also, I, I've been told by a couple different sources that there were a number of hotheads amongst the parents and even perhaps a few in your group and that your group kept them at a distance and kept them calm down so they didn't engage, which in the end was a very successful result because the EFF exposed themselves for what they are. Nobody was killed. You know, these parents were arguing with me in my videos about Brockenfels. Well, we must draw a line in the sand. We must do something. I said, well, what's your plan? What's your ingress? What's your egress routes? Where are your aid stations? What medic kit bags do you have? What communications methods? Are you on brick radios? Are you on mobile phones? Are you on tactical radios? What will you do? Do you have armored vehicles to get people out of there? They had no plan and they just want to rush in. And, and it sounds to me like your organization, it, again, if I'm wrong, correct me, sounds like your organization is more interested in training people and having plans to deal with just such contingencies so that people don't just rush in and get slaughtered. You see, what, uh, what what we are promoting is that the police do their job. We will be the second line of defense. Okay. That is our that is our whole aim, and that is what we are training our people to to be. Uh, what in what happened in Shinnekal is that we held a recce the whole week there, and we attended all the meetings of the police, and the police even appointed the Burelithian commander there as the commander of the civilian forces who will be. Who, uh, who uh, deployed there. And that was forces consisting out of several organizations, self-defense organizations. There was about 1,200 armed men on the outskirts of Seneca mm -hmm. who were ready, who stood ready for any, any occurrence and who could help whenever necessary. Mm -hmm. uh, the same was at Drakenfeld. The people were, the trained people were out on the outskirts of the protest action, on the outskirts in the neighborhoods, at the school, at the hospitals, 
They were patrolling the area, with the gas. they were gathering information, they gave information through to our people. And uh, the commander of the Buri Legion was tasked with one specific task, and, and he was to get all the civilian people attending the protest action, to brief them properly and to get them under command and control. Because it's very, very important in such a situation that you keep the loose cannons under control. Yeah. And that is what the, my message to the government for the past three years already. I want the government. There will come a time and date where we as a civil defense organization will not be able to contain the civilian people, especially the young Afrikaner boys. Mm -hmm. And I'm speak, speaking about men between 18 and 40. Yeah, the, the question is... The most, it is the most dangerous age where people don't want to be controlled. They want to do their own thing. And even if they go to the, the length of getting into acts of terrorism, they will do that in order to make a point or to, or to prove something. And it's, it's getting more and more difficult to contain those people under command and control and to, to put them behind the police. These young men want action. They want towns to be cleaned up and they want the EFF out of the way. And if those young men are going to be set loose on the EFF, blood is going to flow. I'm telling you. You're getting a lot of clicking on your side. The, the chat was interesting for a while there, but then it got kind of boring in the chat conversation here where people started discussing who's an African, who's not an African. And now a couple of people are, are, are saying things kind of calling for violence. Uh, let's not put that in the chat. You're going to get deleted by the moderators if you're calling for that. But let me get back to some of the earlier questions they had here, which were very interesting. One of which was from Cato. And Cato said, could you explain the difference between the Commando Corps and Bo Legion? Is there sufficient common ground to unify the command structures of the two organizations? What is the other organization? Commando Corps. Commando Corps. Okay, now the, the structures are more or less the same. I think the only difference between the Commando Corps and uh, the Burundi Union is that uh, the Commando Corps are making use of former veterans. They are forming commandos and they have training programs. But we, and, and, and their focus are mostly in the rural areas, according to my information. But we are focusing more on urban areas and, and we want to establish street platoons and, and want to get schools involved. We want to introduce the, the former cadets and uh, uh, getting people to drill and exercise and getting into training programs. And uh, uh, what we want to see in the near future is that we get people, the young boys, who are taking off the matric the gap year before they go to university or they start formal formal work. We want to grasp that guys and, and get them trained. And uh, and and they uh, when we do that we want to get them involved in, in our active structures. And we are also looking into the, the possibility of forming security companies in towns where we can uh, according to the CIRA laws and the security laws and, and regulations also place people and pay them a salary. Um, because at, up to now we are making use of volunteers and uh, I know what it takes from a person to, to go in and out every night, do patrols, uh, 
visit scenes of crimes, um, visit farmers at farms and they're not getting paid or some form of uh, compensation for it. Well, based on, on your language and terminology, it sounds as though you have a background in the police service. Were you in the police or the, the military or both? Oh, I, I was, I was, uh, I went to the police college, South African police college in 1986, mm -hmm. and I became, became a commissioned officer lieutenant in 1993. And uh, I was uh, promoted until the rank of lieutenant colonel uh, in the South African police service at that stage, and uh, I acted as the head of communications, which was a brigadier's post uh, for longer than a year. And uh, after that, I resigned because of the, the political influences that came into the police and started to negatively influence the management of the police to, so it's, up to it's... the point where what we see now in the South African police, where there's no objectivity they are driving a political force rather than a police force so it's it's fair to say i, I would argue that um, you're well informed on the role of saps uh, well informed on the law in south africa well informed in the structure and the responsibility for when so when they fail uh you would know i uh, you, you'd be well informed because you 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 were inside the organization and are quite intimately familiar with it is, is that a fair statement on my part yeah, yeah i uh, what i can also add to it to your previous statement, Chris, is that uh, I worked with the army for quite a long time as a police liaison officer, provincial police liaison officer. Uh, I attended uh, lots of the um, safety committee meetings and uh, the army meetings, uh, especially around the, the uh, election in 1994. And uh, I, I was the liaison between the police and the army at that stage for quite a number of years. Uh, so I, I know the ins and outs of the, the army, the, the South African Defense Force. I know how they operate. I know the administration of the Defense Force. Uh, I knew lots of their generals by name. Constant Fulun, I met quite a few times. Former General Kat Liebenberg, I met uh, quite a few times. So, yeah. Um, and I also, my dad, my, my father, I grew up in a police house. My father was one of the last apartheid generals. He retired just before 1994 as a major general. And uh, he was one of the very few um, colonels in the South African police at that stage. I, I'm speaking of around 1984, mm -hmm. who attended the top management course of the, the South African Defense Force as a police colonel. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, that course was the the the, the basis of of from, from where the the army generals were appointed. They, they called it the general staff course, you know, the the generale staff courses or the gezamentlijke staff courses. And uh, yeah, he, uh, he was attending the course with uh, General Pierre Stein. Uh, Constant Fillon was the head of the army at that stage. And uh, I just can mention that he was, he, he was uh, as a police officer, he was uh, laughed at when he predicted in a, in a, in, in a ta uh, task they had to do. Uh, he predicted that the, Ber the wall of Berlin will fall in 19, I think in 80, uh, 90, 98, 98. 
So he was close. And, he was close. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they laughed at him. And after the wall has fallen, Kat Liebenberg called my dad and he said to him, you know, we laughed at you at that stage. And uh, you you predicted that. So, yeah. That's interesting. That was, that was quite an interesting uh, fact that, that he mentioned to me. Well, look, I have to say this. Uh, is, is it... Is it um... I, I followed you a bit, uh, watch you occasionally on Scott Bolson's Loving Life channel and, and some of the times you've spoken there and, and I saw they were raising money and I don't mean to get too personal, but a reason they're mentioning this is you look you look good, you look healthy, you look like you're doing fine, but I saw that um, you had some medical issues and needed surgery. Um, is that true? Were you ailing and now you're you're all better? You look, you're looking pretty good. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I feel good. I, I have, a, uh, sometimes I... I stand up in the morning and I, I can just go on my knees and say thank you uh, for the for the the, the the period it took me to get up again. You know, uh, I had a, a, a seven bus, uh, what do you call it, the silver foot Artem Leiden bypass. Yeah, uh, bypass. And uh, uh, yeah, my heart is jumping like an 18 year old. <laughs> I told someone the other day. My wife is now scared for, scared of me, you know, and she's and she's eleven years younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I I don't know what to say there. I don't know how to respond to that, but that's I'll let that one go. But no, I just want to say because and we're chatting. You're look you're looking you're looking quite healthy, and and I and from what I've seen on 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 uh, Loving Life, it looked as though your health was in very serious jeopardy. So it's good to see you up and about and and looking quite healthy there. Um, so let me shift from the positive there to one of the comments earlier. And this, I said, some people were putting a few things here. Uh, one of the gentlemen said, um, I regard this guy as someone as a threat to my own safety. And let me finish. There's another comment. He said, trouble controlling emotions, lack of understanding of political context, wants to meet the EFF on every corner and get involved in every skirmish. Um, but that's not what I heard you say a few minutes ago. What I've heard you say in this stream is that, um, you expect the police to do their job. You're looking for the police to do their job. You're there as a second line of defense. Um, I mean, that did, did I get that wrong? Or, or, I mean, that is what you said. That's what I understood. Yeah, that is our our main role. And, and that is to push the police in front to do the job. Mm -hmm. And uh, if, if the, if the um, mad hordes of the EFF breaks through the barriers of the police, then we will be there to defend ourselves, our property and life. Communities. That is, that is, yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, so now this is an interesting question from Landon Koleska. And he says, does does the general think that most young people eventually leave South Africa, similar to what happened in Zimbabwe, just that there might not be enough young people who want to fight for South Africa? Well, that's an interesting question. I, I, I have my own thoughts on it, but please, uh, if you if, can you address that? Do you think most young people are going to give up in South Africa? We've seen a lot of people leave the country. I, I, th I, I, think, I think most young people already left South Africa. That's according to, to my observation. Uh, but that's why why one of the reasons I created the Burili Union and I established it is to create a platform from where we can start to speak openly. And 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 I must I must tell you that um, the fact that 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 we are talking military language and 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 speaking about an army because we are we have a history of of military. The white people, the Buddha people in South Africa. We have a history of wars. We fought a lot of wars in South Africa. Uh, many of our soldiers joined in the World War Two and and World War One and got medals there. They got decorations. Uh, they one of the Buddha Legion generals 
Prince's uh, granddad was honored by the Russians. Uh, he, every year he's invited to a special event where they, where, where they, the Russians are giving honor to the South Africans participated in in the in the World War Two. And uh, yeah, um, I think I think the fact that we are preparing for the worst. And, and we are preparing for whatever might occur, even if it is a military onslaught. And uh, uh, the revolution that Malema is driving is nothing other than a military onslaught. Uh, and, and the fact that we are preparing for that and that we are standing fearless against the stocks uh, creates hope, creates hope. And, and the people look up to us and, and they see you are not a big organization as yet. And, and we see that you are fearless. You are standing your ground. You are not running away. You are not, you are, you are not uh, standing back. And uh, I think that is, the, that is the, the, the characteristic that we want to establish again in our people's um, minds and hearts. Because uh, we are not losers. We are not uh, cowards. Uh, um, we are not a bunch of, of, of wildlings who came to South Africa. We are a, a thoroughbred, <laughs> what do you call it, blue blood that came from Europe to form and to establish a civilization, a Christian civilization in South Africa. That's who we are. And that's what we are going to maintain even if it takes some resistance from ourselves. Well, here's, I think, an important question, and I've asked this of other groups when I've talked to them. I've, I've talked to a lot of different groups in South Africa over the past eight months, done a lot of interviews, including uh, folks for Cape Secession, like uh, Phil Craig, Des Palm, um, Hein Marx, and others. Um, so this is a question I ask. Um, Borlegion, the history of, of the Trek Boers and of the Boers and Alpha Connors in general is one of um, alliances with others, particularly with Africans, which is overlooked by a lot of people. So when the Trek Boers, when Pete Boyce and when uh, Pete, uh, Pete Retief and others went up into what became the Free State and up and around the Drakensberg, down into KZN or Natal at the time and into the Transvaal, they encountered uh, the Zulu uh, and you still had the results of the Mfakani taking place there. And also ran into the breakaway from the Zulu, the Endebele, under King Mzilikazi. And we found that the Greek was, the mixed race Greek was, who had long been established in the Kimberley area, were already up in that area. And what happened is that they were being preyed upon by the Endebele and others. They were attacking the Basutu peoples, they were attacking the Tswana speakers, they were attacking the Greek was, and they attacked the Trek Boers. And the Trek Boers in particular formed alliances with these groups, and they fought together, and they sent Mzilikazi packing, and that's a consequence of finding Endebele. In Zimbabwe today, they went north of the Mpopo and established their kingdom up there at what became Bulawayo. So um, you have a long history. That's just one example. Long history of um, Afrikaner people, Afrikaner people, allying with Black Africans and, and mixed uh, colored Africans or you know colored folks in South Africa. So is your organization open, or does it does it have people from other groups that would that have similar thoughts and concerns that would uh, be part of it? Or is, is that something that's happened thus far, or is it something you would welcome in the future? I am I am approached by by several leader figures in uh, the, especially the brown community and the, the former uh, colored corps. Uh, I was approached by a Zulu a Zulu person out of Kazulu Natal and quite a few other people. They want to join the Buri Legion. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. And my message to them was, if you feel the same like us, you, do, you, you are sharing the vision, the same vision as the Buddha religion, and you are, you are cherishing your own culture and your own language as important, then I should suggest that you form a Zulu legion or a colored legion or a Khoi legion, and then we as generals of the different legions can join forces against this criminal government or the criminals running this country at this moment. So you have no objection? And if you want to join us to destroy the EFF, then we can, as a, as a joint forces, destroy the EFF and the Black First Landers. So you have no no objections to allying with with other South Africans of uh, different ethnicities who uh, share similar values and are concerned about the trajectory of the nation. My 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 point of view is that everyone has got this place. The Zulus has Zulu land. The Griquas has Griquas land. The Namas has Namakwa land. Uh, the Bura has the former Bura republics, the Transvaal and the Free State. Even towns were part of. Uh, independent republics like Leidenberg, Stelleland, the, the, the Republic of Freya. It was towns, towns with surrounding farms that declared a republic, the independent republic. And my point of view is that all the historic towns in South Africa can become part of one republic. And that's why I say we support the ULA two-state solution. Their borders might not include the Eastern Transvaal, but there's lots of historic towns who, which was established by the Buddha people and who, which formed part of the old Buddha republics. Mm-hmm. And nothing prevents us from declaring that historic town as part of the new state that they are creating. Now, your organization you're talking about, as we talked about, sounds like a civic defense organization. Uh, do you, there, there's a lot of other groups out there. You've, you've alluded to a couple of them. You mentioned Sightlanders. Um, uh, do you have do you have any relations or ties with those groups? Do you coordinate anything, or do you share like the, uh, the, the Sightlanders? Uh, or what about the um, like, for instance, the Afrikaner Bewer, Bewer Bewegung? Because I can say that in German, it's Bewer Bewegung, but it's not Ung in Afrikaans. It's Ging. <laughs> so uh, the AW, AWB. Do you do you guys have any ties or relations with them, or or, or no? You're on your own. The AWB. Um, we are talking on on local level. We established what we call joint operational centers, and uh, the different organisations are meeting there. Up to this point, uh, the leader of the AWB doesn't want to talk to me. I don't know why. Uh, the Sightlanders leadership doesn't want to talk to me. Although um, Colonel um, De Toy and our people in the Southern Cape are talking, they are having regular meetings. So there is some sort of liaison between the different organizations which we can um, overbridge all the differences. Uh, I think I don't think there is real, real differences in any approach. Uh, I think every every organization has got its role. That is my opinion. Uh, every organization's leadership has got the vision and they follow the vision. And we have to respect that. And if the Sightlander says that they want to withdraw the people, then they will surely be a certain amount of people in a state of total anarchy that will will withdraw to a place of safety. Our stance in that what we want people to respect is that we will not leave our historic towns to be demolished and burned down by the thugs, the trade overalls.
Gotcha. Well, Siv asked the question, says, is AWB still around? Yes, they are. The AWB is still around. Um, Sten Runga is their current leader, if I'm not mistaken, uh, for the AWB. So they are still around. They're just not particularly active or well-known um, ever since the murder of, um, of course, the, the leader of the organization a few years back uh, in Northwest. They have uh, been um, less on the scene. But um, let me see. There was a, a, there's a question or comment here. This was from... This was from Mokopa. Mokopa said, war in South Africa will throw the entire southern half of Africa into chaotic hell for the next two decades. Well, I can't disagree with that. Uh, the, the reality is that uh, Namibia, Botswana, Lesotho, Swaziland are really just extensions of South Africa's economy. So if you have a civil war in South Africa, you're going to disrupt everything in those countries at a the minimum. They trade with their neighbors. Zimbabwe used to be part of that that. Uh, that link, but Zimbabwe is so broken now that its economic activity is almost non-existent that the impact couldn't have much more of a negative impact on Zimbabwe than it currently has. Otherwise, it would be worse too. Uh, and, and it goes beyond that. Even countries that are not directly adjacent to South Africa, like Malawi, have a major dependence on South Africa and, and of course, Mozambique as well. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, a conflict, a civil conflict in South Africa would be disastrous for the entire region, and it could last for a very long time. Well, let's hope it never comes to that. So, um, what are your, what are your thoughts uh, for the future? Are you are you are you hopeful that the world will wake up, or that at least South Africans will wake up to the EFF and its race baiting and its efforts for race war, and the fact that the ANC picks and chooses when it's going to have the police do their job and when they don't do their job? Yeah, Chris. Um, what what I envisage is that uh, that the more the threat is growing and becoming a big monster. The more the people will awaken towards the threat, and they will start to 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 get active involved in military training and preparedness. What I always say to the people, it took the it took Egypt in the Yom Kippur War in 1967 13 years to prepare for that war to get themselves ready into structures into a military mode, and uh, although they they were very well prepared. They lost the war against Israel, the six-day war. Mm -hmm. And uh, you cannot be prepared enough, and you cannot start early enough to prepare. So um, we already started preparing for the past three to four years. And uh, three years along the line, I see the progress that we made and, and the people who are starting to awaken towards the fact that the Burelichian is not a far-right extremist movement. We are just a movement to help our people in a state of total anarchy. And uh, we can help them by helping themselves. To help themselves. And uh, that is mainly what we are doing. To create a platform, to create a military structure, to create a, a, a command and control system uh, from where it will be easy to get instructions from the top to the ground and different places at once. That is why we have a command system. And uh, yeah, um, in the meantime, we are building a family. We are building a spree de corps. Uh, and, and, and we are becoming a, a family consisting of good, good, good friends. And uh, wherever I go in South Africa, Wherever any Buddha Legion officer goes in South Africa, he's got a place where he can overnight, where he can visit, and where he can uh, be welcomed and uh, be treated like a decent person. 
Well, that's kind of, that's kind of handy. It sounds like a kind of a family organization, a, a big family. Uh, so, you know, we're talking about civil defense. We're talking about the law enforcement, the police. Uh, what people don't realize is when they look at this is um, the current figures for the SAPs is something like 175000 on the payroll. But you have to take out the mechanics in the motor pool. You have to take out the people who mop the floors, the administrators. You have to take all of that overhead that's necessary to run an organization. Those aren't beat cops. They aren't cops out on the street enforcing law and, uh, law and order or doing community policing. So you probably have a total of maybe 135,000 of that who are actual police officers, constables. They're actually out in the street. Once you take out the overhead for leaders, leadership, all that. So say 135,000. Uh, from that, that means that you've got at most 45,000 police officers right now at this very moment doing law enforcement somewhere in South Africa, either sitting in a car eating a donut, patrolling a beat, responding to a crime, getting somebody a speeding ticket. So 45,000 out of a country of about 60 million people in a country that physically large, that is an under assessment. That's an, that's, that's, it's far too few police officers. The city of New York has over 40,000 police officers alone. A city of 9 million people has 40,000 police officers uh, before this current nonsense. So there's there's definitely not enough police, even if they're resourced properly, trained properly, they have the proper forensic equipment to get the right information to prosecutors to prosecute crimes if they're willing to prosecute them, which they don't seem to be. Even if you have all that stuff, that's still an inadequate number of police officers. I would argue that the SAPs ought to be about 300,000. Have uh, That way they have at least 80,000 police officers on the beat at any given time around the country. Um, but let me ask you this question about, uh, what do you think, what do you think of that assessment? Is that fair or am I just smoking crack cocaine? What's that? <laughs> well, I saw, I saw, uh, most ironically, I, I saw the statistic this morning and, uh, if I can remember well, they talked about 29,000 commissioned officers and about 40, 42,000 administrative personnel. So that leaves you with about um, 140,000 active police officers. Now, the ratio is supposed to be one one police officer for 200 people. That is the ratio supposed to be. I think that's we have one, a ratio. That's one promoted by the United Nations, actually. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's one to 300 or one to 400 now. And that's quite, that's, that's, that, that's why we want to build a civilian force, especially for the protection of the minority people. Mm -hmm. uh, so that we can be able, whenever there's um, mass attacks on, on towns, uh, so that we can at least close down the town and, and, and cordon off the vicinities and mm -hmm. keep the innocent people inside that town safe. That's a good point. So uh, let me ask this question. Uh, first off, if we've, we've gone over an hour here, which uh, I'm very grateful for you being here thus far. I'm not trying to chase you off, but I'm sure you can't stay the whole day. But but let me just say very quickly, folks, you're listening to Chris White Africa on the Indaba Africa channel. I'm Chris right here in Central Pennsylvania. Yes, I am wearing rugby jersey as per normal. This one's a Springbok jersey. There you go. <laughs> uh, it's my thing. I always wear rugby jerseys in my live streams. But uh, my special feature guest today is General Isik Fonsal, um, who is the head of Borlegion, a civic defense group in South Africa. We've been talking to him about the situation in South Africa. We touched on what Borlegion is, um, what it's not, a little bit about his experience, his personal life, as well as um, the events that unfolded in Brockenfell recently. We touched on Senegal briefly, too. But um, what I'd like to ask now is that, um, so we, we've talked about, you know, like-minded groups that might have an interest. But um, if people want to learn more about uh, Bordeguillaume, 
Uh, how can they find out more about it? I mean, when I do a search online, I don't find a website. I, there's, I think, a Facebook group, if I'm not mistaken. But if you're interested in learning more about it or supporting it or becoming part of it, or for that other group of people we talked about there, it's like the, the, the like-minded coloreds uh, or like-minded Kosa or Zulu who also want to form civic defense groups, how would they be able to get in touch with Boa Legion to coordinate things at that high level amongst the general sort of thing? So can you share that with us? Yeah, yeah, that is that's quite accurate. Uh, thank you, John. Uh, people can get hold of us on the webpage www.burilithium.co.za. We have a Facebook page as well uh, with the name Burilithium and the Facebook page with the name Burilithium RSA. And uh, yeah, and uh, we also have the Burilithium Media uh, YouTube channel, which they can follow. But if they want to get actively involved as uh, as part of the, the active forces, uh, they can join at the uh, um, um, webpage. There's a, a link that they can follow and they can join there. Uh, they will uh, be contacted within a day or two to be placed on a group and uh, to get pulled into the command structure of the religion. All right. Uh, I've just put the link up there. So if anybody is interested in it, they can take a look at it. And by the way, folks, if you're new to Chris White Africa, it's your first time tuning in because you heard that Isaac Fonsal is here. Well, welcome to you. We're happy to have you here. Uh, I hope you uh, found the content interesting thus far and compelling. And uh, if you're not a subscriber, hey, take a second, smash the subscription button right down there. Uh, uh, my uh, program is based in the United States and we focus on Africa, but we have a strong focus in South Africa where I have a special affinity with the Afrikaans speaking community, the Tswana speaking community, and the Basutu communities in South Africa. So uh, we really try to promote um, genuine, gen genuine news on South Africa. And that's why we have uh, General Isaac Fonsal on the channel today to talk about, about Borla. So I have a question for you very quickly there. Um, the logo you guys have is a pretty interesting one. It looks to be like a gentleman uh, kneeled in prayer with a wreath around him. Can you tell me a little bit about that About that, um, that patch? It's interesting. Yeah, we. Uh, I know. I, I, I knew when I started the Buddha Legion, and that was after a, a vision I got in a dream during 2009. That is seven years before I started the Buddha Legion. Mm -hmm. Uh, where I stood before this sea of people that was um, devastated. They were like an army that came from war, but they were, they lost the war. And uh, the voice behind me just told me, talk to the people, talk to the people. And I started to talk to the people. And uh, long afterwards, I realized why did the voice tell me to talk to the people? That is to change them. And the, the, the only way that we can change people from a devastated nation to a progressive nation and to a winning nation is to start to talk sins and to start to talk faith and to go on our knees. And that's where the symbol came from. We call it the Boer Obseknia. And, and, and our history showed us that whatever challenge you face, you cannot face that challenge without praying first. And that is our stance. Uh, all, the, all the situations we were in, and that I'm speaking from Kulini, with the two young men that was arrested for the murder on that young boy that fell from the bucky. Uh, the the war that broke out in that town at that stage, I, uh, the Boer religion 
was the civil civilian forces deployed there. And the images emanated from, from there with the poor op the poor on their knees, showed us the power in prayer. With a coffin too in Middleburg, the same happened. We were about 200 Buddha people gathered, gathering around the, the, the court. And we started to pray and we saw how the atmosphere changed when we started to pray. So before we take up any weapon, before we go to war, we will not go to war before we heard the voice telling us to go to war. We first pray and we pray for our, our enemies. That is a, a, a instruction in the Bible to pray for your enemies. And the, the instruction will be clear when a war starts. You will know the war has started now, and now you have to be ready. And uh, for me, for me to prepare for war is to enjoy peace. Mm -hmm. That's also a Bible principle. If you want to have peace in your country, prepare for war. And to become a strong, a strong force. Don't let the the majority bully you out of your towns. It's not necessary. On your knees in faith, you can become a strong force on the right side of the law. You can face these criminals because that's nothing. They are nothing else. They are just a bunch of criminals. And we can face them and we can destroy them if they want to take us and to kill us and to demolish our, our infrastructures. Well, I think that's well stated. And I've long been of the opinion that the best defense is deterrence. And deterrence is only effective if you're prepared, you're trained, you rehearse, and you're equipped, and you have structures in place. That's, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Training, training, training. Yeah. We trained for for we trained for five to six years as when I was operational police officer mm -hmm. for two or three incidents. Yep. Now, because what happens is, you know, someone earlier, um, I have a super chat to deal with here in just a moment, but uh, someone earlier made a point about, uh, well, what when I was talking about Brockenfell, when I was asking questions about ingress, egress, aid stations, CASIVAC, all that stuff, they said, well, what about Bucky's? Can't they be used? Yeah, they can be used, but you can't just like, oh my gosh, 10 people wounded. Can we find a truck and stick them in the truck? No, 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 no. That's chaos. That that gets people killed uh, in so many ways. If you if you have Bucky's as your, and I'll give you an example here. When uh, the United States sent special operations for Forces to Bor in South Sudan in December of 2013. I was in Uganda stationed at our embassy there. And what happens, they did a non-combatant evacuation operation. As the three Osprey, those are the tilt wing, the ones are like planes, and they come up like a helicopter. As they came in as, as, as a plane would on approach to the airport, they were fired upon by both warring sides for both the government and the rebels. And they all three of the lead aircraft were damaged by uh, any aircraft fire, small arms fire, and they limped back to Uganda and landed. And... Um, before they landed, I requested ambulances because I was in constant contact with the crew in the air uh, coming back from Sudan, also with our headquarters in Germany at Africa Command and the, and the folks in Djibouti. And we're coordinating on my mobile phones, driving to the airport, which is a 45-minute drive. I was already on my way when I got word that they'd been shot. And on my way, I, contact, I dropped one phone, called the Ministry of Health and asked for ambulances um, to, get, to move them. And, of course, they never showed up, so I had a backup plan. We have uh, non-tactical vehicles, um, which are basically like, like a combi, and you can fold this, take the seats out of the back. We had like six of those. We had the seats taken out of the back. We were told four wounded were coming in and two were critical. And so we had uh, we had six of those vehicles that we could get together assemble. My team got them ready at the airport before I even arrived. When I arrived, those vehicles were there, and the ambulances never showed up. 
So there, my point there is you have to be prepared. You have to have a plan. You can't just simply rock up and be angry about an event and expect for things to go well. That's when people get killed needlessly and horrific damage is done. So um, that's what I'm talking about, uh, preparedness and de deterrence. And it sounds like you and I are drinking the same cup of coffee there. Yeah, and use what you have. <laughs> so Yanni Vandervelt uh, gave a super chat and he said, um, thanks for the interview, Chris. Uh, General Fonsal is not the bad person the media makes him out to be. Good chat. Well, uh, that's one of the reasons why I bring my guest on is to find more about them and, and get the, the truth uh, out there as best we can. And um, uh, I think that we've had a chance to have a conversation today and learn more about you and about Boer Guillaume. Uh, before we wrap up, is there is there any topic you'd like to talk about? We really didn't go into great depth on Brockenfell. We talked about it, and we didn't really talk about Senegal. There was this whole brouhaha about Senegal. I didn't even bring it up. We could save that for a future discussion if you're inclined to come back on the channel. I'll say right now, unequivocally, you're welcome back as a guest if you'd like to come back on the channel, um, and we can discuss the future day if you want to come back on. But uh, is there anything you'd like to share with people about civil defense um, or any events in particular or just some thoughts you'd like to leave people with before we head out of here? Krishna, first of all, I just want to thank you for allowing me on your channel. Uh, I follow you quite a while now, and uh, I know that, that you have also a vision to, to, to get groups together and uh, leaderships together and for them to work together at the end of the, of the day. So uh, thank you very much for allowing me here uh, and to also give me the opportunity to say uh, what we are doing as a, as a civil defense organization. And... Uh, I just want to wish you also the best of luck for the future. And uh, yeah, uh, regarding Senegal too, I can talk a lot, uh, but I think it's best that you didn't mention it today because there's, I think there's lots of feelings outside uh, that is unsolved and people didn't understand what quite happened there. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me now to try to explain myself will just add to, uh, um, fuel to the fire in some instances. Yeah. But according to me, most people understood quite clearly what happened there and why we did what we did and why we acted out of a, a, a situation where we had a meeting, where we strategized, where we had something on paper. And I did what I did on that talking. Me and I, Marks, were standing together there and uh, we were prepared to go to the court. That's where we belong. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Luckily or not luckily, I don't know whether it was uh, fate or whatever, but uh, we were blocked by the police and they refused us entrance to the town. So, yeah, most probably it was for the best. That's what I believe today. Uh, most probably it was for the best that they stopped us and, and, and prevent us from accessing the town. Um, what we are um, from my side i just want to invite the people to to join our website they will they will find all the photos and videos and stuff that i did on purely media and uh, all information we are giving through uh, we are using the 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 purely media and the facebook mainly for sharing daily events and information uh, it's not a news channel but uh, we want to, to, to put emphasis on certain aspects in South Africa. And, uh, but people don't understand always that we are also an active structure. We are working on the ground. We have boots on the ground. We have training programs going every day of the week, every month of the year. Uh, during holidays, even over Christmas, we have a training camp. 
So uh, that is that is stuff that young people especially can get involved with, and uh, where they can receive the best training there is under the current circumstances in South Africa, current conditions in South Africa, uh, where they um, can be deployed to any situation. And uh, I think we have a very, very solid leadership in the Burilithian. My general staff are people with years and years of experience, and they are experts in their fields, former parabats, former Iraqis, uh, former soldiers, solid infantry soldiers, people from the intelligence world, you know, uh, people from military intelligence, national intelligence, um, police officers, uh, with years and years of investigation experience, forensic experience. Um, yeah, you can name them. We're becoming a, a family of experts What that will, at the end, make a difference. And uh, we are already starting to to approach people to, to, to be deployed on farms, uh, to, to get our trained people for them to avail them for them, to, to protect them on the farms. And uh, we also have the ability and uh, that I want to give recognition to protect some uh, Laurence Duplessis, who's got a team of Askaris, former Uvambu uh, trackers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can camp on the farm where uh, attack is, the information, the pre-information comes in. You can wait for the people there. After a farm attack, you can also go and come there for two to three weeks to follow the tracks and to get the information to get at the end of people behind bars. That is our main aim. And uh, yeah, uh, that is what we do on a daily basis. And in the in the silence, in the quietness, we are preparing and becoming a strong force to to take on whatever giant is approaching. Well, that's that's well well uh, well said. Thank you so much for that. Can you help me out with something? This is a personal favor. One of my one of my uh, viewers uh, lives here in Pennsylvania. She's from South Africa, and I keep mispronouncing her name because my Afrikaans pronunciation is atrocious. And um, somebody said it's like uh, saying Peak Bota, uh, but is uh, her name is Peaky? But they're saying they're trying to tell me it's Pikey or Pokey or uh, how would you pronounce a name in Afrikaans that a girl goes by the name P I K K I E? How would you pronounce that? Pokey. Picky. 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 Yeah. Okay, there we go. By a doggy. By a doggy. Okay. That's, that's more, I think that's more a nickname. Nickname. Yeah, I, I know it's short for something. Say, can you say it again so I get it right? Picky. P-I-K-K-I-E. Okay. Picky. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much for that. That's very helpful. Okay. Well, General Isak Fonsal, it's been a pleasure having you on today. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate uh, your coming on. And I didn't know that you were um, uh, a viewer. So that's interesting to know. Uh, thank you very much for that. Uh, hopefully, um, other folks affiliated with Boy Legion are watching the program. I know some do. And um, we'll do our best to keep uh, bringing uh, unbiased, un- unfiltered actual news and uh, and talk to people who are interested in South Africa. Like I said, you're welcome back on the channel um, and not just about Senegal. About If you want to talk about something that's coming up or if you want to talk about Bordeaux, we can do that again some point. Uh, you just, uh, we can chat. Uh, we've got each other's contact now. And so I'm happy to do that. So thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate it. My pleasure, Chris. Thank you very much. And have a good night to you all. All right. Take Be care. Safe. All right. And there you go, folks. That's uh, General Isaac Fonsal right there, who's departing the screen. If he can just get it to work for him there. We always, all of us have trouble. I know when I when I call in, it's difficult to get that. Let me help him out. If uh, I'll, 
I think, I, okay, he's, he's found it on his own there. Well, folks, thanks for tuning in. I'm really grateful for everyone who tuned in today. We had a good size audience today. I uh, hit about 400 there for a brief period of time. Thank you all so much for that. If you didn't know anything about uh, Isaac van Seil, uh, I hope you learned something. And um, if you thought you knew everything about him and you learned something, all the better. But um, as uh, Yanni van der Waal said, the press tends to miss... Uh, misrepresent uh, people, especially minority South Africans, in their conversations or discussions about them. So it's always good to get a chance to talk to someone and hear what they have to say. Uh, fascinating. So uh, my view of Bordeaux has never been positive, it's never been negative, it was just not particularly well informed. I would say that I'm better informed now and have a better understanding of who they are and what they're looking for. But to be honest, I already had a better understanding because of Brockenfell. I had been in touch with one of one of the senior officers who, who was in Bois de Guillaume, uh, and he had provided me some of the video footage, most of the video footage that I actually showed during the course of my live stream from Brockenfell just the other day, that four-hour stream when I was up at 2 o'clock in the morning yet again. That uh, seems to be a bit of a habit here, folks. Uh, up at 2 o'clock in the morning, they broadcast uh, the Vitkois Monument, the Biker Rally, the Car Rally, the Black Monday. Monday, uh, Senegal, Senegal 1, Senegal 2. Yeah, I was uh, one of the few places on the planet that was actually live streaming the first time in Senegal, and the press didn't even show up, only SABC. But thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate all the support for the channel. Yanni, thank you for the super chat. For those who subscribe today, thank you for subscribing. No new members, but that's perfectly fine. No one's obliged to be a member. So folks, um, I'll be back on for the Night Owls edition in a little over two hours, and I'm going to talk to you about my frustrations uh, when it comes to the hysteria, the scandemic of COVID-19. I attempted to get a COVID test today. Do you think I was successful? No, I wasn't. We'll talk about this lunacy from hysterical political leaders that know nothing whatsoever about epidemiology or infectious disease or just have this blind religious faith on non-scientific things like testing, testing. Yes, no, testing is scientific. But folks, the moment that you walk away from the swab being jammed up into your brain and they pull it out and they put it in, the moment you walk away from there, it's invalid. You might have had it at that moment or you might not have had it. But I walk 30 feet and pass someone in the street and they sneeze on top of me. Guess what? I just got it. So yeah, testing has a role, but this faith in testing to prevent the spread of the virus is childish and it shows an effort to control us like serfs. Anyway, folks, thanks a lot. We'll be back on about two hours and I'll probably do a little bit of e-begging because uh, another plumber is here to fix what's little left of the mess that we had yesterday here at the location in which my toilet backed up and water flowed all over the place. Um, the good news, it was clear water because I had been showering and that's the water was backed up. Anyway, folks, thanks so much uh, to my guest, uh, General Isaac Fonsal. Thank you so much. Bye bye, donkey. Thank you so much. Uh, you've had the link there, folks, to the um, to the uh, uh, uh website if you'd like to check it out. It's in English and in Afrikaans, so you're welcome to read it and learn more about them. All right, folks, that's it. We're out of here. We'll catch you in about two hours. Thank you so much. God bless, and have a lovely day.